0: Welcome to the Empowered to Connect podcast where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm your host, J.D. Wilson, and before we get into the show today, let me just give you all a heartfelt thank you. And uh, we did not expect to look up almost a week into this show and find so many of you listening from four different continents, first of all. And the number of times our, our show has been shared with friends, family members, um, and other people, we are, are just really grateful. Uh, just know that's not lost on us. We, we see y'all uh, listening, and we are really, really thankful. And, and we just hope that this can be helpful for you um, as a parent, as a caregiver, as a community member, where you are. And uh, if nothing else, maybe it's it's helping to provoke some thought and help uh, in that journey. So we are really grateful for that. On the show today, we've got awesome guests. Uh, we've got Emily Pickett and Lisa Qualls, authors uh, with the late Dr. Karen Purvis of the book, The Connected Parent, a sequel of sorts to The Connected Child, Dr. Karen Purvis's first book. We're going to talk with them about a whole bunch of different things, not just the book, but... Uh, some parenting stuff, some caregiving stuff. We'll talk about how Emily's work with uh, the TCU Child Institute in Texas is helping to um, not just address parenting or um, fostering or um, the, the world that it started out in, but we are now seeing TBRI used pretty widely in some school systems and judicial systems and their work, and it's um, it's really really uh, interesting and encouraging. So, uh, hope that you enjoy our interview today with. Emily Pickett and Lisa Quals, If you will, hang on to the end of the episode because they've been gracious enough to uh, give us five, five, five books of The Connected Child to give away. And so uh, you'll hear details about how to get entered in that giveaway at the end of the episode. So uh, please do hang on till the end. And as always, uh, make sure to check us out um, at empoweredtoconnect.org podcast for more uh, information, uh, resources, links to stuff that we talk about in the, in the show today. Uh, but without any further ado, here it is, our interview with Emily Pickett and Lisa Guales. Well, as I said in the open, our guests today um, are the authors of uh, a new book that we will get into in just a few moments. But before we get to them, my co-host today is from Empowered to Connect, Tana Ottinger. Tana, how are you?
1: I'm doing so good. I'm so happy to be here, especially with our guests today, this quarantined extrovert is just really, really happy to be talking to grownups. So very
0: happy to be here. (laughs) Same, same. Well, um, our guests today are Lisa Qualls and Emily Pickett. Uh, Ladies, thank y'all so much for joining us today. Well, thank
2: you for having us. Yeah, it's great to be here.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, Lisa is the mom of 12 kids by birth and adoption, and sometimes uh, more through foster care. um, Using her training as a TBRI practitioner and as a certified Enneagram coach, Lisa mentors and coaches adoptive and foster moms in her membership community, the Hope Circle, so they can renew their hope, gain courage, and become the moms they're meant to be. She's also a speaker and the co-host of the Adoption Connection podcast and we are uh, so glad that she's here with us today. Um, Emily is the communications coordinator at TCU's Karen and Purvis Institute of Child Development where she oversees the institute's marketing, communication, and media efforts, no big deal, and is the editor of the institute's <laughs> connections blog. Emily previously served as the assistant to Dr. Karen Purvis. For whom the institute is named, uh, Emily lives in Fort Worth with her husband and daughter. Uh, so, guys, we're we're really excited for y'all to be here today. Uh, one of the biggest reasons is that um, y'all have a new book, The Connected Parent, um, and y'all co-author co-authored this with Dr. Purvis. Um, before her passing, and she was obviously the heart and soul behind uh, the TBRI uh, Trust-Based Relational Intervention, uh, which is one of the main um, paradigms that we use here at Empowered to Connect. Um, I'll tell you what, Emily, why don't we start with you? Would you mind sharing how you first connected with Dr. Purvis and the work at the Institute?
3: Sure. Well, um, I connected with the Institute as a fresh out of college graduate, right after I finished my time as a student at TCU was looking for a job, and a friend of mine was working at the Institute um, between her undergrad and grad school and told me that the lady she was working for needed an assistant with someone with a good knowledge of video production, and I had just graduated with the highly vocational and easy-to-find-a-job degree of radio, TV, film, and so (laughs) I was thrilled to tell my parents that I was going to be gainfully employed, and so... I interviewed with Dr. Purvis, and we hit it off, and she very unwisely hired um, a 22-year-old with zero experience, (laughs) but I like to think we worked pretty well together when it was all (laughs) said and done, so that's how I became connected initially.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome.
3: And how many years ago was that, Emily? That was in 2009, so it's been a minute, and then Mm -hmm. I got to serve as her assistant for about five years and then transitioned into more the full-time video stuff, um, recently transitioned into more of the communication broader stuff. And so my, my role's evolved quite a bit, but they've, they've kept me around at the Institute for a while and I plan on staying. So. I
1: love that. I love that. Um, Lisa, I, if I'm thinking about you and I's timelines, I think that we may have found Dr. Purvis's work and then the connected child that first book that she authored that has just impacted so many people. I think if I'm thinking about times I've heard you tell your story, we may have been finding that about the first, about the same time. So I would love for you to tell us about your first touch point with Dr. Purvis, Empowered to Connect, because you were one of the first um, speakers of those early years at even some of the ETC conferences. I think I saw you speaking. Yeah. So if you just want to tell us your sort of origin story, that would be awesome.
2: Sure. Well, mine is a little bit longer, but I'll give you the abbreviated form uh, that, uh, you know, Russ and I had been parents for 20 years when we just became very aware of the need for parents for children, in particular in the country of Ethiopia. That was our first introduction to adoption. And we decided to adopt two little boys. And then that turned into two little boys and a little girl. And then when we traveled in 2007, we met another little girl and added her to our family as well. So in a period of about 16 months, we added four children to our family. And we had some really good training. But honestly... I'm not sure that we could have been prepared for the depth of some of our children's challenges due to their very, very difficult early beginnings in their lives. And so during a point of pretty intense desperation, one of my blog readers, I had been blogging since 2006, and one of my readers told me about Dr. Purvis and the Connected Child. So that was my very first introduction. I remember reading the book, and learning a lot. But what really captured me were was when I saw three videos of Dr. Purvis teaching, I believe, at a very early tapestry conference. Mm-hmm. And when I heard her speak, I was truly like moved i i felt like and i've said this so many times i felt like she had hope where i didn't i was out of hope i was struggling and she gave me hope that my children could heal and that i could be that instrument of healing for them so then i went back and read the connected child again and began blogging in depth about what i was learning and then had an opportunity to meet Dr. Purvis and Michael Monroe at a conference. And all of that led to me writing for Empowered to Connect and then speaking with them for a period of time. And it's it's an amazing thing, the way it all came together. I, I'm kind of in awe. You know, when I think about just
1: you finding Dr. Purvis's work in a time of desperation, like something in me on a personal level, just quickens when I hear you say that, because mm-hmm. that is exactly where we were as a family. Um, our, we have our kids range from age 20 down to eight. And Lisa, what's your kids age range?
2: Well, now I have a 20 year span. So they are 33 to 13.
1: Yeah. So that I think, yeah, we, we've, we've been, you've been parenting a little longer than me, but we've been <laughs> at this is just a little hot minute. Um, yeah. And when we, as all good parents do, right, when we began our parenting journey, we read all the books that there were to read about how to parent and um, how to add structure. And, you know, I had these expectations of like what it was going to be to be a good mom. And now I'm kind of harking back and and just sort of going, oh, Tana, if you had just taken a deep breath and calmed down, (laughs) like, I don't even know what that meant to me to be a good mom. But you know, you start your parenting so beautifully naive and just wanting to be a good mom. And we were incredibly ill-equipped for the journey that was ahead of us and got to a incredibly dark place. And I have not shared this on the podcast, but I think I will go ahead and just come on out with this one. We were in such a dark place, y'all will laugh at this. I gathered up all the books that I had read on parenting. Um, I won't say what they were at the time, but I had a good (laughs) stack of them. I went into our backyard um, put them in the fire pit and lit them on fire. Yes, and Moe was out there, and he was like, "Hey, hey, what you doing?" I'm like, "I'm burning them. This is not working." <laughs> they told me things were going to work out a certain way. They are not working out a certain way. <laughs> Where is the book, the instruction manual for the children that we are parenting? Where is our help? What this this is not working in our family. Mm. In fact, I won't go too far into our story, but. Um, we've come to just sort of own the reality that some of what we were actually doing was creating harm in the lives of our kiddos by some of the strategies that we were using at the time. It just was not building trust and felt safety for our kids. Mm -hmm. And so I had a friend call me and she was uh, going through foster parent training in California. And just a dear friend, she called and said, I've got a book that you've got to read. And I was like, you know I don't read those books anymore. I burnt the books, you know, I've got to figure this out. You know, like I'm on i I'm on a lone Island over here, reinventing parenting strategies all by myself, you know. Um, Anyway, she said, no, you've got to read this one. And when your closest friend basically begs you to read a book, um, it was The Connected Child. So I ordered it. I opened it up. I'm sure I read it in a day. And I wept the, I could get teary right now thinking about it. I wept the whole entire way through that book. Hmm. Um, Mo got home from work and I'm like, Mo, here it is. I'm going to, here is the book that helps us understand what's going on in the hearts of our babies. I was dying to be compassionate. I wanted so much to show empathy and compassion to our kids. But because I was a new mom, I hadn't in my mind given, been given permission to, um, meet their needs with compassion. I was just up in the structure to deal with the behavior. Mm. So anyway, it was about that same time. I think the connected child was published in about 2007. Mm -hmm. I think I was reading it about that time, which would have made our kids about six and seven at the time. So anyway, I'm with you. It was life. It was life transforming for me and at a very desperate place. I have not burned any more books since then, I will say. (laughs) (laughs)
2: well and I will say in terms of the tears you know it was when I saw her speak it chokes me up now Yeah. yeah yeah definitely tears and then when Russ and I I've told the story on our 25th wedding anniversary we actually got away which I don't know how that happened now but I said I need you to watch these with me and we watched them and we both cried because it's hope
1: it's hope right that's touching something that you're like, there is hope when things feel in this moment in my family, like I'm a failure and I'm the wrong parent for these
2: babies. I mean, it can be a really dark place. Well, and in addition to the hope, so many practical tools, like things I could actually do, you know, like things that I could try that might make a difference. And they did.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: That's good. I love it. I love it.
0: I mean, y'all, y'all story is similar to ours, but we, Um, you know, we're, we're not quite as long in our parenting journey, but, um, we had, uh, we have two kids through adoption, two kids biologically. And, um, and early on in our parenting journey, it, what we knew was not working. And, uh, and we were starting to get desperate because, you know, we were the first of our friends to have kids. And, um, and of course, when you, when you bring a baby home through adoption, um, there's always this fanfare from, from well-meaning people around you of like, look at this beautiful story and all this is so great. And then if we're the people who are now like dying on the vine, we can't admit to our friends that Mm -hmm. like this actually is really, really hard. And we, we think we're doing this wrong and we don't have any answers. And what we've always known is not working. And, um, and I was, I, I joked before we started recording that at the point that I was ready to just like turn my parenting card back in and just be like, Hey, I'm, I, they can live here. I don't know what I'm going to do with them though. <laughs> like, um, I, uh, I was talking to, um, Tana's husband Mo at, at church and, um, and just mentioned, mentioned that we were just really struggling. And, uh, and, and that, that was when we were introduced to it. And so it was almost like being brought into a secret society, honestly, <laughs> like, because I felt like we, you know, jumped into the first round of classes that we took. And it was like, this has been available this whole time, and nobody told us about this. Like, mm-hmm. we do not have people who love us in our lives if they've known about this and not shared it with us. And and so for us, I mean that that made us just by default ambassadors of um, of Dr. Purvis's work. And um, and I think you know, y'all talked about gobbling the book up in a, in a day or in a few hours. And I read parts of it, and and I thought it was awesome. Um, but man, watching uh, for me, it was watching clips from her in those camps that, I mean, maybe Emily, that was your editing actually that I was watching, but, um, but watching clips of her actually hands on with kids, uh, melted me. And I was like, that's it. Mm -hmm. That's that. There was something deep in my soul that clicked to say there is an empathetic and peaceful and, um, dignifying way to meet challenges that your kiddos are bringing to you in a way that, that also helps promote healing. And so that for us, it was like, uh, it, it was a no-brainer, and that was almost ten years ago for us. And so we are, we are super grateful for the book and for Dr. Purvis's work and for you guys as well. Um, I, why don't we, why don't, why don't we talk about this for a minute? So we were all sharing ways that we got connected to Dr. Purvis's work and um, and how it affected us. For for Lisa and Emily, how did y'all um, get brought together for the connected parent for the book to come into place?
2: Well, Emily and I, during the ETC conferences, we spent a lot of time hanging out together at the book table, selling selling The Connected Child, actually. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I had had this idea for a book, and I just remember feeling so strongly that there were so many wonderful books by experts, but they weren't living my life. And I'm thankful. Oh, I'm so really good. thankful for all those books, but living it is so, so different, and I remember thinking, wouldn't it be so amazing if we could take my stories, because by then I'd been writing on my blog a long time, and if we could combine them with Dr. Purvis's amazing, uh, you know, scientific knowledge and all of it, and I remember telling Emily that I had this idea. And I asked her, I said, do you think I should ask her? Do you remember this, Emily? Yes. Yeah. And you encouraged me to ask her. And I remember thinking, oh boy, I, I don't know if she'd even be interested. And so I think we were in Nashville maybe and we were all at a hotel and I just got up my courage and I sat down with Dr. Purvis and I told her about my idea and she thought it was a great idea and said yes. And... Um, didn't say yes right in that very moment, but she was very interested. And because Emily was her assistant, I already knew her. And Emily really was the one who kept us organized throughout the process. You know, we were sending book chapters back and forth, communicating a lot. um, And Emily kept us organized. And that's really how the book was born. But we started writing this book in 2012. So this has been a very, very long journey. And I, do you want me to explain more about why that took so long?
0: Yeah, of course. Of course.
2: Okay. Okay. So we started writing and Emily, you would know the dates better, but sometime in there, Dr. Purvis was diagnosed with cancer. And so that, slowed us down, you know, for quite a while, but I continued writing. And also during that time, I had to learn how to write a book proposal, which was a huge task. I spent a long, long time writing the book proposal. We were looking for a publisher. And so when she got well enough, she started writing again. I was writing again. And then um, we... I struggled a bit because we were we were struggling as a family. I mean, life was very, very hard for a long period of time, so I got slower on it. But finally, we were working pretty well, and then Russ and I were in a very tragic and horrible car accident with our daughter, Kalkidan, and we lost her in that accident. And oh, wow. I remember at that point thinking, I don't. I don't know if I'll ever be able to write again. I don't know if I'll ever be able to finish this book. And it took me a little while. And then I had a conversation with Karen and I had come to a point of realizing that I wanted to finish it for Kalkidon. I wanted to finish it in honor of her because she's really the reason why all of this happened in the first place. Her needs were so huge and she drove me to learn and to be a better mom and she Because of her, I found Dr. Purvis. And so we agreed to finish. And then uh, Dr. Purvis's cancer returned. And I, I think I have this all in the right order, Emily. But even with her cancer and being in treatment, she continued working on this book. And even I remember her calling me from Seattle, where she was having treatment, and she was working on a chapter. So really very close up until the time that she passed away, she was working on the book. And then when she did pass away, definitely we took some time. I, again, did not know if we would ever finish it, but uh, her family wanted the book finished. She wanted it finished. So Emily joined me and really was the person who could bring all the unfinished pieces together using Dr. Purvis's voice, using her work, and completing the chapters in such a beautiful, beautiful way. And so that is how we finished. Wow, man. Okay, so for
0: for those who have read Connected Child, or if you're just if this is somebody's first foray into ever hearing about um, any of this, um, can you talk for a little bit about how the connected child is different from the connected parent?
2: Emily, why don't you why don't you start on that? Sure. So.
3: I think that the, the biggest difference in this book is that you've got the science and then the connected child included stories from our early hook connection camps, which I think are really helpful in helping parents and caregivers understand, but it's this, I love that it's the same voice throughout the connected parent, that it's one family, that it's Lisa's stories. And so that's a, a big difference that you've got a really seasoned mom, therapeutic parent, um, joining a developmental psychologist and teaching you these strategies and skills. Um, something that was really important um, to Dr. Purvis and Lisa and myself was to include a really strong foundation for attachment in this book. And, and we really wanted to present right off the bat, as we were ordering chapters, how very important this work is for the entire family, how this isn't a prescriptive model to fix a child. This is a way of seeing the world, a way of doing life that impacts the entire family and that parents are going to need to do their own work to come alongside their little one or or big one who may be struggling because of what they've experienced. And so um, that was really important to us. And and I'm really proud of the strong foundation we set for um, adult attachment and the connected parent. Lisa, what else would you say?
2: Um, I would say also that we have a whole chapter on teens, which has been mm-hmm. very requested and needed. And so I'm excited about that. And then we really closed the whole book with a section on parents caring for themselves. And, you know, this is, we all know this is a very long journey. This is not something, I think maybe that's one of the things that surprised me the most was I I thought my kids were going to sort of get better and heal. And then we would be back to who we were. But we have been forever changed and this is a long journey for parents. And so we spent some time in the closing chapters about caring for yourself. Mm -hmm.
0: That is awesome.
1: One of the things that I loved and I I love that it's the place both of y'all went when I have, when I flew through the book, I will say it's amazing. (laughs) Um, And it, for those of y'all that are thinking about buying it, it's such an, it's a, book packed full of so much kindness and empathy and wisdom and strategy, and it's also really accessible. So I think about if, you, if you're if you like me and life is full and there's a lot going on and you think, I just do not have time to read. I love the way y'all laid it out um, and made it really easy to read in small chunks even. So thank you for the thoughtfulness about meeting the parents' needs where they are. The two things that I was like, oh, I love that they did this is exactly the two things that y'all just said. So that makes me, happy. well, the teens too, really it's three. I love that you started with attachment. So I would love for us to just dive into that a few minutes. And then I will say, I would love to talk about the self-care some more. And when Mo looked at it, he said, they gave a whole chapter to teenagers. So I feel like, um, I just, it makes me so happy. So I'm so grateful that y'all spent the time and energy that I know the labor of love and eight years is a long time. Mm-hmm. to stay committed to giving something to the world that I think the world really needs. So I just want to take a second and say thank you for your dedication to, to keep pushing through. Um, can we dive in a little bit more to thinking about attachment? Can we do that for just a few minutes for our listeners? And um, I would love for us to talk about attachment. So one of the things we talk about ETC a lot is this idea of making sense of your past um, so that we can be more fully present for our kids. So when we think about our own attachment styles and what we bring to the parenting equation, we often call it the attachment dance, um, that that we're coming to the table with two people in relationship. And that means that, you know, for us to be mindful and think about our own attachment and making sense of our own past. Um, would, would either one of you or both of you mind just kind of taking it a little personal and sharing some of what That journey has meant for you as you're sort of making sense of your own past to be emotionally available and provide as secure a base as you can for your kiddos and your family.
2: Well, I, you know, Emily and I talked a fair bit about that chapter on understanding your own history, because I think when I first began hearing a lot of conversation about, you know, the parents are bringing their own attachment to the relationship I what I heard, and this is not what was being said, but what I heard was judgment and failure. Yeah. That yeah, that yeah, perhaps yeah. the problems my children were having were because of me.
1: And all and, of you, right? Like
2: all oh of yeah, you. all me. Oh, so I had already messed it up because yeah. of what I brought, and then I wasn't doing it perfectly, so I was mm-hmm. messing it up more. Mm-hmm. And I felt honestly, I felt defensive because I remember saying actually to a therapist, you know, I wasn't there when all of these horrible things happened to my daughter. I wasn't there. And I stepped into this after so much brokenness. And so to feel like I had to carry the weight of this perceived failure was so heavy on me. And so Emily and I were very careful with our language in that chapter because parents do not need to feel any judgment. This is just reality, just like any other relationship we bring ourselves and just like, just like marriage, just like friendship. And so to pause Mm -hmm. and really think about our past, think about how we were raised, think about our relationships with our parents. Think about if we have a spouse, think about our relationship with our spouse and think of that all in terms of attachment. It's actually very, very useful and helpful But it needs to be, I think, done in a very in a place of self-compassion, you know, Mm -hmm. because our parents, for the most part, were all doing the best that they could. And they brought themselves into their parenting relationship with us, too. So um, I guess that's the first thing I would want to say about understanding our own histories. Um, I can where do you want to go from there? Emily, do you want to add anything to that?
3: You know, I think I'm so glad that you brought up the self-compassion piece and, and exploring that history gently with yourself because it's not an easy thing that we're asking parents or caregivers to do. And it, it does take work and it takes bravery. But I think that, you know, finding the right resources can really help a, a parent or a caregiver do that in a non-judgmental, really helpful way for their own personal growth and then for the for the benefit of the entire family.
0: Well, and I'll I'll add also one of the things that for, for uh, my wife and I, when we were early on in our journey into this conversation was idea of looking back to go forward. Tana, do you remember teaching Mm -hmm. that in our class? Yeah, I think we, yep. Would you Mm -hmm. talk about that for a minute as it relates to all this?
1: Yeah, sure. So I think about how there's been so many interactions with my kiddos that I walk away from and I think, oh my goodness, what in the world was I just doing? Or why did I react that way? Or why did I feel so emotional about that? Or why did I feel so guilty in that moment? Like just realizing that when there's these interactions, not with kids, not just kids, like like Lisa mentioned, but really with people, but in parenting, it felt more um, present time because it was with my kids all day. Um, To step away from that and much to what Lisa said, non-judgmentally self-assess. Not, and and like set the shame aside and self the guilt aside and be curious. Like, I wonder what it is in me that shows up in that moment, defensive or scared or sad or overwhelmed, you know, thinking about allowing myself to actually be okay to have feelings without shame and judgment. Mm -hmm. So if a kiddo, you know, has got a certain stress response and they, you know, respond to a situation that's overwhelming and they come up to that situation with their stress response, being mindful that that particular child's stress response might be the stress response that causes me to get stressed, you know? And that's different with each kid because Mm -hmm. each child shows up in a relationship with each parent really differently. So just sort of saying, I want to as as much as I can, without exhausting myself, step away and sort of say, something's going on there, not because I'm bad, not because I'm broken, but because I'm a human, Mm -hmm. and because I have my own history, and that's that's coming to this equation, so thinking outside the moment, and just asking myself why a lot, um, gently, thank you both of y'all for saying that with much self-compassion and curiosity, just like we do with our kids. We talk a lot about um, and empowered to connect about looking behind the behavior and seeing the need behind the behavior and being, you know, not judgmental, but curious so that we can problem solve together, so that we can grow together, so that we can move forward together, So for me, and it still happens, I love that we talk about making sense because it's not a one-time thing. It's constant. We're always kind of doing this as much as we can, Um, trying to figure out how we come to the equation with some of our own preconceived biases or notions or fears. Um, And honestly, it's just, it's been a lot of hard work. I've had to do a good bit of repair with some of our kids as they've gotten older As new things have come to light, as I've been just mindful of my own reactions, Um, I've had a few major epiphanies and had to go back with some kiddos and say, hey, I've just been thinking, like, for a long time, and suddenly I think I can see how this may be happening inside of me because of X, Y, and Z when I was young, and being able to not make excuses for it, not beat myself up for it, but just honor each other's histories, if you will, So that's not like y'all said about fixing our kids, but it's about saying together as a family, the Ottingers wanna just keep journeying on. And I want us to all be thinking about how our past comes into play when we are engaging with others. So that's kind of what it looks like at our house. And for the most part, as much as I can, um, with kindness to myself. We don't, I mean, we do not have time or energy or any need to beat ourselves up. I mean, we just do that (laughs) enough, right?
2: (laughs) This This is not what we're about here. Right, right. And I know that as parents, when we are just drowning in all of this, yeah. it's really hard to think about what we need. But honestly, a good therapist is a, a gift, you know, yes. to have someone to help process. You know, why am I feeling this way when this happens with my child? What's going on? And because we may need a little help, we might be able to do it with just your spouse or a really good friend to talk to. You, but it is a good thing to think about some therapy
1: for everyone, for everyone, for everyone, all the time, for all the ways. Um, Yes. (laughs) Speaking of therapy, can we talk a little bit more about self-care, which, you know, thank you again for giving a whole entire chapter of the book to just talk about us as as parents and caregivers. So what made you guys think with your precious pages that you were putting out into the world, why did you decide to give self-care an entire chapter?
2: Well, I work a lot with adoptive parents, and in particular, even more so with moms. And what I see are moms who are so deeply discouraged and so worn. And I see sometimes marriages failing. I see all kinds of really, really difficult things. So we've, you know, we see the whole spectrum parents who are just worn all the way to despair. Mm-hmm. And. We have to come around these parents because, and these parents, we all need to be open to receiving help and support because we just can't do this alone. This can be very, very hard parenting at this level. This is, you know, parenting in general is, is a lot of work can be very, very tiring, but therapeutic parenting takes it to an entirely different level. And so I think what I wanted with that chapter was for parents to be heard and understood. And to know that there are actually things that they can do to help themselves have the endurance to persevere in this hard work. Mm-hmm.
3: Well,
2: Absolutely. Think, and, go ahead. Go, go ahead,
3: Mary.
0: Judy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to ask if if um, you guys have met resistance in that conversation from dads or from from men uh, in this conversation. I think one thing that I, I look at when I hear the phrase self-care, or when I see it in this context, I immediately hear um, X, Y, or Z coach, boss, or <laughs> meathead friend of mine from growing up, like rolling their eyes and be like, of course, of course, it's always self-care. For for maybe dads or men, have y'all, have y'all gotten pushback from them on that, or, or would you speak to that at all?
2: Well, I'd love to share a little bit about uh, my husband's experience in self-care, if that would be okay. Uh, He definitely understands it because when we were in probably our deepest, darkest time, we were working with a therapist who was an adoption therapist uh, working with our children, but really with us as a whole family. And she said, Russ you are so depleted that I'm going to give you an assignment. And she basically had him leave our home for like a period. I think we did about 24 hours and he had to go someplace where he was alone for solitude. He could not work. He could not use, I mean, he had to be very careful of what he was going to have. He literally took like a couple of books and went away for 24 hours. And we did this a few times. We called it his sabbatical because he had to be renewed. He had to be able to think clearly and to get some rest and sleep. And so um, I think because of that, he was really able to press on through those hard, hard years. And, you know, it's restorative just to get a little bit of rest. But I will say when she first gave us this assignment, this was one of those things where I thought, well, that's awesome. You're a professional, but I don't think I can function without him. It scared Mm -hmm. me to think of him being gone for 24 hours. Mm -hmm. So what we did was he would have dinner and we'd put the kids to bed and he would leave. And then when they woke up in the morning, it would be as if he had just gone to work early and then he'd be home the next night for dinner. And so it felt so much more manageable to me that way. And it worked. It helped us quite a bit.
0: That is, that is huge. Uh, thank you for sharing that. So um. I
1: have a funny little story, if you don't mind, if I tell on Mo a minute, this, I just thought about it when you were sharing, Lisa. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it was, it's been a couple of years ago, but very much in the same vein. Um, we were just at a spot where, you know, life was, was quite a bit and we could tell that, Mo, um, who was, he was just tired and needed some rest. So there, um, not far from us is a local retreat place that will let pastors come and just have some time alone. And so he went out there for, I think it was probably about 24 hours. J.D., I don't know if you've ever heard the story, but he went, he's, he's pretty much an extrovert. He likes to be on people. When he slows down and stops, he just falls asleep. And so he went out <laughs> to this cabin And there was nobody around because it wasn't during the weekend when they host groups and have retreats and all that. It was like a weeknight. And kind of out in the woods, this little cabin nestled in the back of this like camp kind of scenario, sits down on the front porch in a rocking chair, and he's going to watch the sunset. Falls sound asleep in a rocking chair, sitting straight (laughs) up, woke himself up snoring at like five o'clock in the morning and fell out of the chair and startled himself (laughs) So bad. He was sitting in the pitch black, didn't know where he was. Absolutely. I mean, he just fell sound asleep on the front porch in a rocking chair. So, uh, I mean, about, I you know, relate. I would say that, you know, JD, maybe you could even share some of your own stories about what does it mean for you as a dad to, I, th- I think when we think about self care, um, unfortunately we think about, um, most of the time it's moms, and we think about primping and prepping and, Massages. and none of
2: yeah. yeah, bubble baths. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. yeah, we
1: think about um, like escaping somehow. And I think that one of the things I loved about what y'all talked about in the book was you gave some really practical strategies on how to take care of ourselves that were um, like some mindfulness strategies, some being present, like how to grab moments. To sort of dig in and, and st- stick with it if you will
0: but yeah yeah I, I think of I mean maybe the most helpful analogy for me because the, the self-care piece had when it when it comes up naturally you're right Tana like there's this there's the primping or uh, yeah. pampering kind of connotation yeah. the, and and not to be typical here but like I, I am big into sports love sports and, and played all growing up mm-hmm. um, the analogy of kind of off season training is what has made the most sense to me from a self-care standpoint. That uh, You think of, um, so I played baseball and basketball for a long time growing up, and you would get to the end of the season, and your body needed a break. Like, you just needed a break. Um, And for pro athletes, same thing. Um, They take their off seasons and give their body rest, but they also work really, really intensively hard on building it back up to better withstand their next season of, of play or of performance or whatever. And so I think for me, thinking about uh, if I'm going to get time away or time, I've got to find time where I can I can grow and I can um, kind of refocus, nurse the wounds um, and, and get stronger. And And that's going to happen through being able to have that time of self-care. One of the things that I wanted to ask you about was um, in, in these conversations, um, I mentioned to you kind of off air that we, uh, in, in some of the work that I had done working in, um, in communities and schools, I noticed that the TBRI things I had learned in training um, were incredibly valuable in those settings, um, even though I was not parenting, I was just working with other kids. Will you speak to kind of TBRI's effectiveness and, and the use of TBRI in other areas besides parenting?
3: Certainly. And I think that that's why whenever I talk about parents, I always qualify and caregivers because the Institute and TBRI have really evolved since their inception. So what started with a summer camp for parents who had adopted kids, mostly internationally has really grown and expanded and we're seeing TBRI applied in a variety of contexts now. Um, one, you mentioned schools. We're really passionate about teachers and school staff being equipped to meet the needs of kids who have experienced harm or adversity. And so we do have some resources for teachers that I'm I'm happy to share links to. Um, and so we've worked with a couple of schools, or more than a couple, a few school districts uh, nationwide to start implementing TBRI in those places. We've also been really fortunate to... Um, start using TBRI in juvenile justice settings. Right now we have a federal grant we're working on to um, use TBRI as an intervention with at-risk youth um, whose parents are currently incarcerated for drug use and things of that nature. And so um, we, we're getting to see TBRI in that way. There's a, a specific facility we've worked with in um, near Austin that has really embrace TBRI in the youth that are spending time there, and they've implemented therapeutic nurture groups. They have reframed how they discipline the youth that are currently in that facility and have just seen really positive changes, less um, violent outbreaks, Um, more trust built between staff and youth, And, and we're really, really excited to see those. Um, and then we've also got some international projects happening, which has really um, inspired us. This We don't have to go too deep in this, but it's really inspired <laughs> our staff to start thinking about TBRI in the context of other cultures and what that looks yeah. like. And so yeah. our partnerships in Eastern Europe and in Colombia and um, in other parts of Asia have, have really helped us to start thinking about, OK, well, what, what does attachment look like? like in this cultural context? What does sensory processing look like in this cultural context? And so it's so exciting to see Dr. Purvis's initial vision to have have spread throughout the world um, in a very literal way. And it doesn't look like it's slowing down anytime soon. And that is largely due to the incredible work that organizations like empowered to connect are doing like our practitioners are doing and we're just grateful to have a front row seat to it it's been awesome
0: i love that that is that is incredible um i think that we've seen uh we've seen that happening a lot here in memphis um as as etc has been able to to work um uh, in like parent training for a long time a lot of those parents also work vocationally in some of those different settings you mentioned and have started to bring that in um, and it, it it's been it's incredible to watch and um, I am really excited about the future of that um, let, let's let's do this um, what I would love to talk about next Emily if you will um, speaking of kind of the training of this and if working out in other organizations um, and settings TCU has made some of the courses free right now uh, will you tell us some more about that
3: sure so we have a couple of online, self-paced courses that are free right now. Um, One is called TBRI 101, and it's a great starting point if you have never heard of TBRI or just getting started. Um, And what's really wonderful about it is it's Dr. Purvis and Dr. Cross doing the teaching. It's a series of whiteboard style lessons that we originally made for a project project. We were doing with a school district, speaking of schools, and we didn't continue that project, but we did have all of these videos left and were able to use them in in other training capacities and make them available for parents, caregivers, whoever wanted to watch them. So that one is nearly seven hours in length, but take a deep breath. It's okay. It's self-paced. So you can watch it a little (laughs) bit at a time. The second course that we have available is called TBRI and trauma-informed classrooms. And it is a great resource for teachers, school counselors, speech language pathologists working in the school, anyone who's working in a school setting um, who has children who have experienced harm or adversity in their classroom. And if you're teaching, you you probably do, and so um, we've we've just gotten wonderful feedback since we've made those free, and so those are free through the institute's website through um, August thirty first, twenty
0: twenty. Hey, before we land the plane here today, um, Emily, would you mind reading an excerpt from the book? Um, we I would love to. We would love to to hear that um, if you don't mind reading that for us.
3: Sure. The section I'm going to read is from Dr. Purvis's section, so just imagine that it's her here reading it with us today. Trust-based parenting takes consistency, persistence, and connection, and the payoffs are immense. As you move forward in your parenting journey, remember these things. Errors are not terminal, but failure to repair a mistake could damage your relationship with your child, so be intentional about repair. Find little ways to celebrate small victories along the way. Surround yourself with people who understand your journey and who are compassionate about your pain. I've worked with children all over the world with varying degrees of trauma in their histories. And I've never yet seen a child who couldn't experience dramatic levels of healing. The greatest predictor of a child's capacity for healing is a safe, nurturing adult who can help them learn to trust. It is my deepest desire that these insights will bring healing, joy, and hope to your family.
0: My gosh, that is incredible. Y'all, thank you so much for coming on today and for being here with us. Like, this has been really, really great.
2: Thank, thank you, you so you much. Yeah, thank you. We really appreciate it. Well, before we go, um, both of you, can
0: you tell us where we can find you online, where we can read your stuff, and um, uh, Lisa, why don't you go first? Because you've got several different places for people to find you online.
2: Okay, online on Instagram, I'm One Thankful Mom. On my website is OneThankfulMom.com. And I also am pretty much one thankful mom on Facebook. So people can find me there under all of those different things. And then I do have a podcast called The Adoption Connection, which I co-host with my friend Melissa Corkum. She is both a transracial adoptee and an adoptive mom. And we didn't go into this part of the story, but I'm also a birth mom and an adoptive mom. So together we comprise the triad.
0: That's incredible. That's incredible. Emily, what about you?
3: Yeah, I would love for people to be able to check out the Institute's resources. Our website is child.tcu.edu, and we're on all the socials pretty much at child underscore TCU.
0: Awesome. Uh, Well, listen, today you need to go and buy a copy, two copies, five copies, 20 (laughs) copies of The Connected Parent. Um, And then I want you to make sure that everyone that you know needs to have it has it in their hands. Uh, and so uh, we have a little giveaway that we're going to be doing um, that is made possible by uh, our two incredible authors of this book. They're going to give away um, five copies of the book for you. So stay tuned after the break. We'll tell you about how you can win one of those copies. And uh, yeah, guys, thanks for joining us today. This has been awesome.
1: Thank y'all so much. So much, yeah. so much.
0: Thank you. It's a to
1: hear here both of you. And Thanks again for carrying on the legacy and giving us some of the last written words of Dr. Purvis, just an incredible gift to the community. So thank you again for that.
0: Well, man, fascinating stuff from Emily and Lisa, uh, as well as from Tana and our thanks to them for joining us on the show today. Um, I hope that that was helpful for all of you who are listening. And maybe if this is um, a, a journey that you are early on, there were some helpful resources and and first steps mentioned, and I would definitely encourage if you have not gotten uh, the connected child yet, uh, it is worth the read. It is especially worth reading um, if you have not uh, become familiar with any of Dr. Purvis's work before. Uh, obviously, we all sound like the Karen Purvis fan club on the show, and uh, and as you heard, it's from Good Reason. Um, she's made a massive impact in. Um, all of our lives here at ETC, um, as well as many others um, around the globe. And so we're grateful to her for her work. So grab The Connected Child if you haven't read it yet. Um, Also, we did mention a giveaway of The Connected Parent book. And so uh, we're going to be giving away five copies of The Connected Parent uh, and here's all we need you to do. And yes, this is a shameless promotional plug from us. <laughs> we need you to screenshot uh, your favorite listening app, whether it's uh, whether it's just straight Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Um, if you're listening on um, your internet browser, whatever it is, just take a picture showing that you've subscribed to the podcast and just hashtag it, uh, etc. Book giveaway. So if you'll tag us in the post, empowered to connect, uh, and you'll also. Uh, make sure to hashtag it, ETC Book Giveaway. You can post it on Facebook or Instagram and we will find it and we will give away uh, five of the books to uh, those of you who do that. Um, our hope in doing that is obviously that we'll help to connect our show to those who um, may be um, helped by listening to it Uh, wherever they may be. So if you'll do that, uh, we will have our drawing later on this week and get those books out, and then we'll announce who the winners are on our social media platforms. Um, Many, many thanks to our guest today, as well as to our fearless sound engineer, Kyle Wright, and uh, our musician, the creator of our music, our intro and outro music, uh, the one and only Mr. Tad Jewett. So that's it for us today on the Empowered to Connect show. Hope that we'll get to see you soon as we, again, look to come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. We'll see you soon.